Praise God. Let's look to the Lord before we study God's word together today. Hallelujah. Oh, Father God, in the name of Jesus, we look to you, we need you, we love you. Oh, God, guide us this morning. Help us to do your will. Help us to hear your voice. Oh, Lord, we give you all praise and all honor. We stand before your word with great respect and great hunger and great anticipation. And I pray, O oh Father God, that you help the speaker and the listeners and all of us to embrace your word from our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 23. Turn in your Bibles. I hope you have your Bibles. Welcome you all to the house of the Lord this morning. And I welcome you also if you're uh, with us on Living Word Live. Praise the Lord. God is good. Can you all hear me fine everywhere in the room? Praise God. Matthew eighteen twenty-three says... Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. There is no question about the point of this parable. Uh, Jesus, in chapter 18, verse 21 says, uh, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then if you look on at the end of the parable, Jesus says this in chapter 18, verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Are you, are you catching this that we're talking about here in chapter 18, verse 21, forgiving my brother or sister. And then in verse 35, Jesus is saying, unless you forgive your brother or sister. That is what this parable is about. Those are the two bookends, so to speak, around this parable. So it's not a mystery what is the theme of this parable? But I want to uh, point out the specifics of 1821 and 1835, that it is actually about not just forgiveness as a topic, but forgiving brother and sister. It is forgiving one another, not simply forgiving as a topic. Okay, the reasons, the timing, the purpose of this king calling his servants to account is not specified by Jesus as he tells this story. The king calls his servants to account for his own reasons. We don't get to look into his mind and his reasons 
his purposes, what he's thinking, what he's up to. He doesn't ask anybody for permission. Why now? Why now do you call your servants into account? Why now do you get your ledgers out and start going through the numbers? The king in this parable is the king of heaven, God. And believe me, God has his ledgers, doesn't he? He has his books and he has his accounts. He doesn't miss anything. He sees all. He knows all. And our sin puts us in his debt. There's no question about it. Um, Look, uh, you don't have to turn your Bible there, but Psalm 62 verse 12 as an example says, you reward everyone according to what they've done. And you might interpret uh, this as an Old Testament verse that we don't have to pay any attention to anymore, but Matthew 16, 27 says, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Romans 2, 6, I think that's New Testament. In fact, all of these verses here are New Testament. I'm too nervous to write. Sorry. New Testament, not Old Testament. Romans 2.6 says, God will repay each person according to what they have done. Revelation 20.12 says, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Verse 13 says, each person was judged according to what they had done. And Revelation 22, 12 says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. This uh, Psalm 62, verse 12 is practically quoted again and again in the New Testament. I want you to understand something before we read through the parable. I want to point something out. That the king's forgiveness of a, a deeply indebted servant is wonderful and speaks in a loud and wonderful way about salvation. However, that is actually not the point of the parable. The parable doesn't stop with the forgiveness of the indebted servant. The forgiveness of that indebted servant is actually the background to the critical event and the climax of the parable and the point that Jesus is trying to make in that parable. So let's go on and, and actually read the parable. Is we can call this the parable of the two debtors, and it begins in Matthew eighteen twenty three. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay. The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees. 
before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Oh, Lord, help us. Wow, Jesus can speak some strong words, can he? Now, I just read through the whole parable to get that under our belt, to get us refreshed about it, if you're already familiar, to get you refreshed. If you're not familiar, to introduce it to you. Let me go back now and make some comments about particular uh, verses in order to try and um, make a point here. Verse 24, once again, the king begins the settlement of his accounts and he has one of his servants who owes him 10,000 bags of gold. Now, the, the NIV adds the word gold, and, uh, you know, you could say, well, it doesn't say gold in the original language, but I think talents were typically a measure of gold, so it does imply gold. But that's not the point. The point is that this man owed his king an incredible debt that represented thousands of years of daily labor. Thousands of years of daily labor. An exorbitant fee. You know, you think of it today as a billion dollars. And he wasn't able to pay. And he and his wife and his children, he... And his wife, and his children, and all that he had, sold. To repay the debt? Well, it wouldn't repay the whole debt. It would, be, it would repay as much as the man could possibly give back. What does it mean to the servant? Pain. What pain? What panic? What anxiety? What shame? 
What a blow to him. What pain this represented to him. What panic. You think he was sleeping at night? With this uh, news that he was going to have to uh, settle accounts with his king who, uh, to whom he was in such great debt? Do you think his heart rate went up? His blood pressure skyrocketed? Do you think he was more nervous than I am now speaking to you? I think, you know, a, a thousand times more nervous. Do you think he was afraid? This is fear. His entire life appears to be lost. Gone. Not in jeopardy. Done. Not in danger. Done. As good as done. He's as good as dead. Worse than dead. What was he thinking getting so in debt? How did he get so in debt to this king? Did he think that the king would never notice? It might have taken him quite a while to get into such deep debt to this king. I suppose he might have thought after a while, wow, I just keep borrowing and borrowing and nobody ever calls me into account. I'll just keep going. Maybe he wasn't even thinking of it consciously like that. Maybe he was just going with the flow. And there seemed to be no block. There seemed to be no resistance. He just kept going with it. Debtors often lose track of their debt. Uh, Later we learn that uh, he is going to pick on one of his fellow servants for owing him uh, a handful of coins. How do you get in debt by 10,000 talents of gold. Well, you do it by a a handful of silver coins at a time. One handful of silver coins after another, and you just don't pay a lot of attention to it. Did he suppose that the king didn't care how much he owed the king? Or did he think, just delay, 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 stall, stall, And someday this problem of mine will be somebody else's. Well, that's a common philosophy nowadays that we see used in economics and politics and government and so on. Delay, delay, delay. Hand the problem off to somebody later on. But this guy had no later on in which to take refuge. The king called him to account. In verse 25, we see that the paper debt suddenly became very heavy. His wife, his children, his possessions, his quality of life, shame, a whirlpool of debt was sucking him into it and bringing down his whole life. And so what does he do? You know, what we all do when we're in a situation of great panic and and danger and loss and threat, we start replaying the tape, replaying the video in our minds. How did I get into this mess? What did I do? How was I so stupid? What an idiot I was. 
how irresponsible I was, how unthinking I was, and plays the tape over, plays the video over and over again in his mind until he finally resolves the only, to the only answer he can come up with. He fell on his knees and begged. In verse 26, he is probably doing something he had never done before. I will tell you, a man who gets in uh, debt for 10,000 talents of gold is used to playing the big shot, used to flashing his wealth, used to making the big deals, used to being a real show-off. This is the kind of man who would get on his knees and beg, oh no, he was trying something he had never done before. The pain was so severe. Look, let's step out of the parable a minute and into its spiritual meaning. There, it is so good to get on our knees and humble ourselves before the King of Heaven. Because our sin has put us into a grave debt to Him. We have offended God with our sin. And it's it's so wise, in a sense, to throw aside our pride, our image, that picture we have created our, of ourselves, our brand to our, our families. We have an image before our families, an image before our neighborhood, an image before our coworkers, an image in front of our peers. It's so good to just take that image and throw it down like the Apostle Paul said, I counted it all rubbish that I might gain Christ. It's so good to humble ourselves before God. Fall on the knee. Say, oh God, forgive me. I can't pay the price myself. It's too great. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross on Golgotha for my salvation's sake. Oh, it's good to take all of that glory of our lives and just throw it, just throw it aside. Count it rubbish in order to gain Christ. Can I hear an amen? Am I telling you the truth? We were stupid. We were irresponsible. That that uh, servant that was in such debt, that's us. He's speaking about us and every sinner. That's every man, woman on this earth. That's every sinful person who's in debt to God. That's who that is. We had to get sincere. We had to get humble. Let's uh, just run through the symbolism in the parable. We've got the king. He is also called in the New International Version, Master. In the King James Version, he's called Lord. The Greek word is kurios. That is the Greek word for which, uh, which is special for Jesus and God in the whole New Testament, kurios. He's Lord. Well, the king in the parable symbolizes God in heaven. Amen? The servant symbolizes a human 
the debt symbolizes our offense to God because of our sin, what, how our sin has put us uh, in a bad relationship with God. He's uh, offended with our sin and we're alienated from God because of our sin. Falling down on our knees is humbling ourselves before God in order to get that relationship friendly again. To remove the, the barrier of God's offense and anger with our sin. That is done through forgiveness only. The king forgives the debt. And that is salvation by the blood of Jesus Christ. The man in the, in the uh, parable has his debt canceled by his Lord. That is us. Having our debt to God canceled by what the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen? Am I telling you the gospel in plain terms? I wonder, can you find the church in the parable? I can. But I'm going to leave it at that. You find the church in the parable. It doesn't end there, though. The parable is not over with the servant's forgiveness, the forgiveness of the servant, uh, the master forgiving him and canceling the debt. The parable is not over there. The man doesn't just get a clean slate. So if we jump on to verse 28, it's, we see here when the a servant that has had, had his debt canceled goes out and he finds a guy who has a petty debt, a very, very small debt. Uh, these silver coins represented one day's labor by the poorest set in that society, a denarius. Uh, this is, this is a, a day laborer's one day wage. So we're talking about a hundred days wages for the poorest set in the society as compared to 10,000 talents of gold, which would be thousands, literally thousands of years of working by that same class of people. Thousands of years. Tens of thousands of years. Think of it as $1 billion versus $100. A petty debt. Why does he go out looking for someone who owed him such a petty debt? Because recall, like you and me and everyone I know, when he came in severe danger, he started playing the videotape in his mind over and over again. How I got here? How did I get in such debt? And here's one of the ways he got in such debt. He loaned money to other people and did not insist on them paying him back. And so he's got it in his mind, I've wised up. I'm not going to make that mistake again. Nobody's going to use me like that, and I'm not going to get in such big trouble again. And so I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to lean on those who owe me. Thinking he's smart. 
Let's just jump to the end of the story. Is he smart? (laughs) You know. He didn't think about, as he played the video over in his mind, how he got in such trouble. He did not think so much about his own stupidity. He did not think about so, so much his own irresponsibility. He did not think so much about how he made terrible decisions. Now, I'm answering these questions and pointing these things out because we do know the end of the story. There's something wrong with this guy's attitude. Right? So conveniently, as he played the videotape over and over and how I got into this problem, conveniently, he remembered his leniency rather than his greed, rather than his foolishness. It was a way to hold himself up, to maintain, to keep his own self-image. But it's not a true self. It's a lie. He's justifying himself in a lie. He choked him. He began to choke him. He grabbed him. He was filled with anger. He was filled with violence. Verse 30 says, He refused. He refused to forgive the man. Instead, he went off. I love that. He went off. Yeah, exactly. He went off on his fellow servant. Did you ever hear somebody use that express off? Whoa, he went off. Went ballistic, exploded, blew up. He went off. He was a short-fused soul, and he went off. He went off. It's, it's part of the problem. If you back up a few verses, you'll see that the king canceled the man's debt. And the man, the Bible says, and he went. He went his way. It gave him freedom. This is the thing that Jesus is always stressing about us and our relationship to God. We have freedom. We have freedom. We have opportunity. There is potential. Our relationship with God is going to be what we make it with our freedom. We are free to go. And this guy went off. That's what got him in trouble in the first place. He went off. He exploded in finances and exploded in debt. Stupidly, he throws the man in prison. Can I write a word here? Dumb. He's going to pay me back from prison? That is not a way to get back his money. That is a way to get vengeance. 
this guy's got pain inside him. And the way he is expressing that pain is by making himself a pain to other people. He was not changed by the forgiveness that he was offered by his king. Our debts to our king in heaven are huge. You might think, oh, not me. I grew up in the church. I've, you know, I've hardly sinned. Oh, don't say that. Don't say that. We have, a, we have a history and a tradition of saying that when we interview the kids when they get baptized. Oh, you've come from a life of sin in, into Christ and you're getting baptized. And we chuckle. Ha, 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 ha. A life of sin. I'm telling you, every 10-year-old, every 12-year-old, every 16-year-old that comes to Christ and that gets baptized is coming from a life of sin. They know all about unjust anger. They know all about vengeance. They know all about lying and deception. They know all about greed and materialism. They know all about unjust anger. They know all about all this stuff. It's all just as ugly as committing crimes against the community and going to jail for it. It's just as ugly in the eyes of God, isn't it? Nobody here is so clean. Nobody here is so clean we don't need to bend the knee and let it go. Nobody here is justified in going off Amen? He had been graced with an incredible salvation. And the debt of the second servant, a hundred pieces of silver, was petty. But not to the first servant. To the first servant, it wasn't petty. It was huge. That guy's debt was huge. It's wrong thinking. It's self-centered. Let's go on a little bit. Verse 34. In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. This is the, uh, the second uh, servant handing over his servant to be tortured. That he should pay back all he owed. How do, you, how do you recover what is owed to you by torturing somebody? It's actually twisted, isn't it? It's ugly. This guy is ugly. He was forgiven a great debt, but he's showing a real ugly side. The desire to hurt. The desire to inflict pain. As if inflicting pain is going to do something for him. The truth is, he has had an incredible opportunity. An incredible opportunity was offered to him. And his debt came back. What he owed came back. He was, the debt was canceled. Remember, that represents our salvation by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
But at the end of the parable, his debt is restored. The debt comes back. The salvation and the freedom are taken away. It's the one reason why a lot of Calvinists don't really spend any time in this parable. Because he has the canceling of the debt for a while, and then he loses the canceling of the debt in the end. Doesn't he? The debt came back. So we learn here that what Jesus said in Matthew 6.14 is true. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, in this parable, we see that the, the debtor is forgiven of his debt But in the end, it's conditional. It's conditioned on whether he will forgive his fellow servant. Why was the debt restored? Because the servant didn't learn from his pain. He didn't learn from his panic. He didn't learn from the terrible situation he found himself in. He found himself in great stress and anxiety, a problem, pain, trouble, jeopardy, danger. It was, it was the end of his life, in a sense, the end of the quality of his life. That was time for him to learn. That was his time to become another man. That was his time to stop being greedy That was his time to let go of his pains. That was his time to let go of the preservation of his image. That was his opportunity when his king forgave him that huge, enormous, unpayable debt. That was his chance to become transformed. It was time to be transformed by pain. To be transformed by anxiety. To be transformed by worry. But he's not transformed. Not in the least. If we will only learn as we go. Allow pain to do its work. Even pain that is caused to us by our brethren... The pain we feel is petty, is small, compared to the pain that Jesus Christ felt by coming from his home in heaven and living the life of a poor working man and going to torture and justice and a cross, betrayal and being forsaken, All those pains did our Lord endure for us, right? The pain we go through is petty by comparison. Isaiah 65, 5 says this. Who say, keep away, don't come near me, for I am too sacred for you. Such people are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that keeps burning 
all day. God doesn't like the people who are so tribal that they think they're superior and they tell other people, keep your distance, stay away. You stay over there and I'll stay over here because I am too sacred for you. Let me read it to you in the King James Version. It might surprise you. It says, stand by thyself. This is, this is quoting these people. Stand by thyself and come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. Then the Lord responds to their quote. These are smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. I don't know if you realize that the expression holier than thou actually comes from the Bible. Comes from the book of Isaiah. And it is pointing out that it is very unsavory and ugly and distasteful and offensive to the Lord. If you didn't catch that, that's Isaiah chapter 65, verse 5. Let me just check that. Yes, that's right. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 5. Holier than thou. The Lord doesn't like people that have the attitude, I'm holier than you. I'm holy, you're unclean. I'm holy, you're polluted. I'm beautiful, you're ugly. Spiritually. In God's eyes. You know who's beautiful in the eyes of God? His son. His son is beautiful in the eyes of God. And his son has come to our side. We're the ugly ones that Jesus Christ has come to our side and stands with us and says, Father, these are with me. And the Lord looks at Jesus, not us. So we're to forgive one another from our hearts. That is the message of this parable. The message of the parable does not stop with relishing and celebrating and glorying in our own debt being canceled. The parable ends with the need for us all to be forgiving of our brothers and sisters. That's the message of the parable. And our great salvation that was paid by such a dear price of Jesus Christ is meant to be motivation to forgive our brothers and our sisters. Can I hear an amen? There's a great aversion to pain in our culture. It's very difficult in our culture to go through pain. And it becomes, this aversion to pain becomes a real problem when it comes to the subject of forgiveness. Because forgiveness always costs. Forgiveness that doesn't cost you is not forgiveness. In forgiveness, you accept the pain and the price for what somebody has done to you. You let it go. You pay it. It's painful. Jesus hurt for us to forgive us. It's always the way with forgiveness. Forgiveness always costs. Forgiveness puts justice aside. Forgiveness puts justice off to the side and says, I accept the cost that he has 
made for me, the king in the parable. Does he not lose 10,000 talents of gold? It costs him to forgive. Forgiveness always costs. And that's difficult in our culture where we have such an aversion to pain. We can hardly have a headache without wanting something to, to, taking something for it quickly to get rid of the pain. If we've, we feel like if we're in pain, something's wrong and we've got to, we've got to fix that. So we've got to change that. Everyone who follows Jesus must take up his cross. That cross means pain. It's an emblem of pain. A cross is never fair. It's cruel and unusual punishment. Isn't the cross cruel and unusual punishment? I don't... there, there is not a civilized people in this world that still executes people on a cross. There are people in this world who execute people uh, by impaling and on a cross and so on. They are barbaric. It's cruel and unusual punishment. Jesus says, take yours up. Take it up. If you want to be my disciple, take it up. It's never fair. It's always unjust. Justice and forgiveness do not live in the same room. They're not roommates. They live on two sides of the hall, and they don't talk. uh, Justice says, make them pay. Forgiveness says, let them go. Then justice speaks up again. Make them pay, says to let them go. But you'll lose. Make them pay or you'll lose. Forgiveness says, I accept the loss. I accept the loss. God speaks to us. You're going to lose a little. You will lose a little. I'm telling you up front, you're going to lose a little. But you will gain all. You will gain it all. You will gain everything. You will be the winner. Lose a little. You will be the winner. We can't take for ourselves the gift of the cross without taking on our own cross. That's what this this, uh, man tried to do in the parable who is forgiven of such a great debt. He He took the cross. He took the canceling of his debt, but he didn't want to take his own cross, a little bitty cross, a lightweight cross. He didn't want to take his own cross. And what happens? The great debt that he owed his king came back on his shoulders. Better to choose the little lightweight cross than the big heavy one that'll take us right down to hell. We are not only to take, we're also to give. It was the servant's opportunity to be transformed. This was his chance. When, he, when, the, when the reckoning came, the day he heard about the reckoning, the day he heard about you are going to have to pay back 
10,000 talents of gold. That was his chance to humble himself and be a changed man. No more acting the big shot. No more making other people pay. No more choking. No more strangling. No more threats. No more throwing people into trouble. I'm a changed man. What could have, what should have the relationship between the king and that servant been like? Shouldn't it have been like this? Oh king, I kiss your hand. Oh king, I love you. Oh Lord, tell me what you want me to do. I will do anything. Oh king, a man owes me a hundred coins, silver coins. What should I do? The king would say, child, son, you have to ask me? I'm a little disappointed that you have to ask me, but okay, here's what you do. I forgave you so much, you forgive a petty little debt to him. Oh, yes, master, how foolish of me not to see it for myself, but thank you for your guidance. I love you. I worship you. I kiss your hand. Kiss the son lest he be angry. You, he, he could have worshipped his king. He could have fallen dead, his, lived in his king's house forever. He could have become family to his king. Coming to his king's house could have been coming to his own house. The king would see him. Ah, my, my, he, maybe he would call him my child now. Ah, I forgave you such a debt. And you're so appreciative. You know, Jesus even talks in another parable about someone who's forgiven a great debt and somebody else who's forgiven a small debt. And he asks the Pharisee, who's going to love that forgiver more? The one who has had uh, a great debt forgiven or the one who had a small debt forgiven? And the Pharisee knows. The one who has had a great debt forgiven is going to love the forgiver more. That just goes to show you how contrary, how stubborn, how unchanged, how still in his old state is the servant in this parable who would not forgive the, uh, the, the one who owed him just a little bit. He should have loved his king so much. But instead he commits the unpardonable sin which is he pays no attention to his life, his circumstances, what he's going through. He doesn't listen at all. His ears are closed. He does not want to be transformed. He does not want to be changed. Nobody who puts their heels in the sand like that, refuses to change, is going to see heaven's gate. No one is going to be forgiven their sins who refuses the voice of God and refuses to change and refuses when their debt has been paid for to forgive the debt of others. So can we have a time of prayer this morning and seeking the Lord? Perhaps you have a great debt to God that is still hanging on your head and bothering you. You're still in a life of sin, perhaps, or some sins have accumulated for you and it's just not settled, it's just not taken care of in the Lord. 
Next week, we're going to have communion. I'll tell you, every time we have communion, I know people let the plate pass by them. They don't take the bread. They don't take the wine because they know they're not worthy and they don't want to respect Jesus in that way. How about you get right with God now, today? Today's your opportunity to change, to bow the knee, to humble yourself before God. It's so real when we humble ourselves before God. I am not just a hard-headed preacher. I'm offering you the love of Christ. What can be your relationship with God? It can be home to you. It can be family to you. It doesn't have to be a distant king that you only you fear. It can be the one whose hand you kiss. So now's an opportunity. Please come. I just want to be a, a good pastor and teacher of the Word of God, so I've recalled something that I forgot to say during the Word. It would have been much better in the Word in its place, but I blew it. So let me try to make up for that now. We're not to think, oh, I'll forgive my brothers and my sisters if they only fall on their knees before me and beg for forgiveness. Like the guy in the, with the petty debt in the parable, he fell before his knees, you know. If somebody will only... Oh, brother, I really feel bad. Will you forgive me? Oh, I'll forgive him if he does that, but anything short of that, I'm not forgiving him. We're not understanding the parable then, are we? We're not getting it at all. We're not hearing the spirit of the word of God. So that is not a condition we can put on somebody. That's, maybe the king will put that as a condition on somebody, but we're not kings. Anybody here a king? Except for Jimmy King, we got two of them. Yeah, okay. Lord, in the name of Jesus, bless all my brothers and sisters as they go their separate ways. Oh, Lord, comfort the whole Gilbert family and clan with the passing of Sister Sandy. Oh, Lord, keep your hand on our lives. Guide us. We want to be transformed into more of what you want us to be when life is hard, when life is difficult, when we seem in jeopardy. Oh, Lord, let us learn from those experiences and become more the person you want us to be. Oh, Lord, keep everybody as they go their separate ways. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I hope to see you tonight.